0: We will take a a brief pause in our study in Revelation and the letters to the seven churches, but we're not going to be on a subject that's entirely uh, disconnected from Christ's word to the churches. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, Uh, brethren, let us hear the word of God unto him, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of this precious word to our hearts this morning. Before the foundation of the world... God the Father's eternal purpose was to secure a bride for His beloved Son. This eternal purpose, as revealed in the inspired, infallible Word, is the primary reason for the triune God's act of creation. It is the meaning of history as it progressively unfolds. It is the focal point of the consummation of time And it will result in the salvation of every child of God for all eternity. Now we can put this another way. The reason that God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, the reason His only begotten Son bore all the sins of all His people on the cross of Calvary, the reason He rose again the third day and ascended into heaven to take His seat on the right hand of the Father was to purchase and cleanse His bride. And Christ's bride is the church. We get a glimpse of this when the Apostle Paul speaks of husbands and their wives in terms of Christ and His bride. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27 and verse 29. Now, Paul concludes this portion of Ephesians by saying, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord of glory, loves, nourishes, and cherishes His bride, the church. In other words, the focus of the sovereign, eternal purpose of the Father, the death and resurrection of the Son, and the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, given this vitally important point, let's define what Scripture means by the church. The Bible uses the word church in two ways. First is the church in what we might refer to as a universal sense. Now, this is an area of controversy in our day, and it's not my purpose to address that controversy. But simply to say, for sake of our study this morning, we hold, as does our confession, our brethren throughout the ages of those who understand the church as we do, we understand the church in a universal sense and then in a local sense. They are not two distinct churches, so to speak. They're not two distinct entities. They are simply two different aspects of the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible uses the word in this universal sense, by which we mean the people of God collectively. All the churches of the saints designated by the singular term church all under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Murray defines the universal aspect of the church this way. Quote, The church is the assembly of the covenant people of God, the congregation of believers, the household of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ. It consists of men and women called by by God the Father into the fellowship of His Son, sanctified in Christ Jesus, regenerated by His Spirit, and united in the faith and confession of Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Where there is such a communion gathered in Jesus' name, there is the church of God. Close quote. A Murray's last sentence points to the other aspect of the church. It's local, geographical expression. You and I never see the church universal. That's all of God's people. The completed, if I can say it that way, body of Christ. All of God's children, ultimately. We never see that. Not one of us comes into contact with that. The only expression of the Church of Christ that you and I ever see, ever have an experience with is its local geographical expression where a group of redeemed sinners, where those who have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, gather where such a gathering is as He is defined, there is the church as you and I will ever know it until such time as Christ calls the last of His children to Himself and then comes in the consummation of all things. So in this local sense, the church is a called out assembly, a a gathered fellowship of God's People, The Holy Spirit calls them by the gospel and regenerating grace, draws them unto Christ in repentance, faith, and transforms them into a body that worships and serves the living God according to His word. The vast majority of the occurrences of the word church in the scriptures clearly refers to this local majority or uh, I might say uh, this local gathering of believers. Murray makes another significant point. Quote, It is all important to bear in mind that the church of God is an institution. It may never be conceived of a part from the organization of the people of God in visible expression and in discharge of the ordinances instituted by Christ. Close quote. Now, again, don't get lost that this sounds a little heady. The whole point that he is driving at is that the church is not some big, foggy, mystical, indefinable thing for us. A lot of people have this notion of the universal church and they're, they're kind of the uh, religious version of bar hoppers. They're always going from here to this place and to that place trying to find out where the action is if they're even inclined to go at all. They're never committed to a local assembly of believers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the Word of God makes exactly clear by the very notion of a church, that it is a visible, gathered assembly of those who have repented of their sins, believed on Christ, have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they continually meet and serve the Lord in worship and holy lives. If you are not committed to such an institution. Now, I know a lot of us hate words like that. If you want me to use a a softer word, more to your liking, a gathering, a congregation, it doesn't matter. The point is, Jesus Christ gave us the institution of marriage and He gave us the institution of the church because they're both connected in the eternal purpose of God. They are institutions, something that has been ordained of God and to function a particular way. The emphasis in evangelical churches today, unfortunately, is the individual's personal relationship to God. I'm not denigrating that. Every one of us must have a vitally robust, (laughs) vigorous relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I use those terms is because the idea of Christianity is not just a notion, it's not just a collection of ideas, uh, some type of religious philosophy that just kind of floats around in our brain and has no effect on us. We should be alive in our love for Christ, in prayer individually, seeking the Lord. In fact, I, I hope and trust with all of my heart that you came this morning having individually Sought the Lord in prayer. Sought Him in His Word. Filled your hearts and minds to come and to worship Him with your brothers and sisters. If you didn't, I can assure you that our collective worship will not be robust or vigorous. One of the reasons so many churches are dead in the water And it is unfortunately what drives many people to go out and find something that's got a rock band so they can hop up and down and feel like the Spirit of God is there. The idea of the individual's relationship to God has a legitimate place. I'm not throwing it out. But the constant focus on Individual relationship, my quiet time period, often overshadows the God ordained way by which that relationship grows and becomes fruitful. Another way of saying this is that there can be no healthy relationship with Christ without a healthy relationship to Christ's church. If that's a shocking statement to you, then you're a victim of the very mindset that I'm talking about. If you are quite convinced that all you ever need to do is get up and just spend a few minutes at home in the morning with your head bowed, reading in the Scriptures and and, and praying a few short sentences. And that's all you need. You don't really need those, those churches because they're just full of hypocrites or I can go when it's comfortable or I can go when it's convenient. You are not in harmony with the Word of God. Let me ask you a question in light of this. How important is the church to you? I'm not just talking about the universal church. I'm talking about a local gathering of believers. How important is it to you? I can tell you just by the way most people attend. It's not important to them much, if at all. There are people that will get up at the crack of dawn to go on a fishing trip, a hunting trip, a football game and travel miles, hundreds of miles to go and wear themselves out, jumping up and down and shouting or spending the whole day out in the woods or whatever they do. And yet, they'll mumble something like, well, you know, I'd go to church today, but I'm tired. Stop kidding yourself. Tiredness never stops you from doing anything you wanted to do. You always found the energy to do what you wanted to do. So, stop fooling yourself that tiredness is somehow an acceptable reason to reject coming to the worship of God. You may be the exception, but I've never seen a tired soul come into the worship of God and leave sorry that they came. Oh, I'm tired. Christ was tired. Christ was tired when he fell under his cross. Peter said, Well, I'm a little tired here. We would have no Savior. He pressed on because there was something that gripped his heart. And that was doing the will of his father. And I can tell you it is the will of your father for you to come and meet with his children and worship him. How important is the church of Christ to you? Let us soberly consider how important the church is to Jesus Christ. Go to the garden and see him in the throes of strong crying and tears. It was for the church. See him sweating as it were great drops of blood. It was for his church. Hear him cry out as all God's fury for all the sins of His people for all eternity come thundering down upon His soul. My God! My God! Why have You forsaken Me? It was for His church. See His glory as He rises from the dead. It was for His church. His bride. See Him ascend in splendor to the right hand of the Father where He intercedes. All of it was for His church. That's why Paul says in our text, to Him, the Father. Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That's a doxology, by the way. We talked a few minutes about doxologies in our study last week. Here is a short hymn of praise to the living God. And what's it about? To God the Father, through Christ Jesus His Son. But where? What's the focus of that? The church. It doesn't say, now unto Him be glory in a few redeemed sinners here and there scattered out having private devotions the such. Nothing wrong with private devotions. Don't have 180 hearing. But it says through the church. The church. The church of Jesus Christ. His bride. The very existence of each and every gathered local body of saints is the historical manifestation of God's eternal purpose of securing a bride for His Son. Every little gathering, this one, here in this country, in the various states and their different time zones, and the different nations all around the world. Brethren, we are being orchestrated by the Holy Ghost this morning to come together and to worship and adore the Lord Jesus Christ. God gets His glory in the church. How many of us rob Him of that glory? God's eternal glory is bound up in the church of Jesus Christ. The importance of the church as it is expressed in its local bodies, therefore, is difficult to exaggerate. What I'm telling you, friend, is is if you're with me here, better still, if you're with the Word of God, the most important thing happening today is the worship of God. There's nothing else more important. Not your family coming into town not a little tiredness, not what your job is calling you to do. The most important thing on the planet is the worship of Almighty God. Now, I realize there are certain circumstances in all of the things that I've just said. There might be certain uh, exclusions and inclusions that we might wrestle through. There are certain exemptions that we might be able to bring up and say, oh, yeah, well, fine. We're not talking about... Uh, those rare uh, rare moments where there may be a genuine reasonable reason not to be in the attendance of the worship of almighty god again if this sounds strange if this sounds imbalanced you are a victim of the kind of thinking that i've already talked about you are out of kilter with the word of god We really cannot think of Christ properly apart from the bride for whom He died. To do so is to cut off the very purpose for which He came. It's to put a disconnect. So having said these things and seen something of the importance of the local church, then we want to come to our theme that's a tied to it this morning. This is what the title of our message is all about. Why the family needs the church. Now, we have seen something of the biblical importance and the definition of the church. Let's do the same thing for the family. The importance and definition of the family. I was involved in the drafting of the Confession of the National Center for Family Integrated Churches. And the Confession says this, The family is a holy institution ordained and established by the sovereign triune God who created the heavens and the earth. As such, the Bible reveals that the family is an integral part of the unfolding of God's eternal purpose of the redemption of the church. This great salvation, purposed by the Father, accomplished by the Son and applied by the Holy Spirit, is in great measure passed on through succeeding generations by parents faithfully discipling their children. What's the point? The only reason I mention the fact that I was involved in this is that I was closed up for days with a group of men who had a burning desire to see reformation, reform in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, they're tired of seeing the glorious bride of Christ treated shabbily and seeing... Uh, people more enthused about utterly unchristian institutions while professing to be Christians and giving no glory to Christ for he rightfully deserves it and they wanted to see the church refine its continually continually degrading views of the family Let's make something very clear before I press on. We're not equating the family and its importance with the church. There are those who say, well, all these people are all hyped up about the family. They're just idolaters. They put the family in the place of Jesus Christ. If you're not aware that that's one of the criticisms that's come, it's out there. And let me tell you this. To a certain degree, it's true. But it's a small degree. And there are those who need to understand clearly the working together of the body and the church. Uh, Excuse me, the the body of Christ and the family. Uh, I was talking with someone recently who was trying to find out something about our church and wanted to come here perhaps to join with us. And this particular individual said, well, you're a family-oriented, you're a family-centered church, right? And I said, no. It was quiet on the line for a minute. I said, we are a Christ-centered church. And there was more quiet on the other end. I said, because you don't properly understand the family unless you understand Jesus Christ and His Lordship above all things then we begin to understand that what He says in His Word is completely vital for us. And as we scour the Word of God, we find out that it teaches a great deal from Genesis to Revelation about being men, women, and children. And when we begin to develop a theology of the family, it's not only there, it's powerful. It pervades Scripture. So we want to put it in its place. We don't exalt it to the place of Christ. We don't want that. That would be a rightly condemned idol. But let us praise and bless and thank the Lord that as we, in, Christ-centered, in the Christ-centered context of the church, come together, we can also scour the Word of God and find what it says to us regarding what we should be as men and women and children in the sight of God under the headship of Jesus Christ. So, in light of, of all these things, we must be careful to define the family biblically. Neither the Old Testament or the New Testament contain uh, <clears throat> uh, contains a word that exactly corresponds to our contemporary usage of family. The biblical terms that come closest to our present usage of family or house, household, and father's house. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines family as the collective body of persons who live in one house and under one head or manager, a household including parents, children, and servants, and as the case may be, lodgers or boarders. In other words, if we want to break this down simply, whoever the head of the house is should recognize that before God, He, if there is a male there uh, of uh, proper age and position, is the head of all those under His roof. All of them. Wife, children, lodgers, and boarders. If it is a woman like Lydia, apparently there was no male in the picture, she's the head of the house. This accurately reflects a biblical notion. If we think of a family only in the modern sense of dad, mom, and the children then we can get a wrong idea of the church by calling it, as some do, a family of families. However, given the broader biblical definitions, we can include homes that do not have a father or a husband, such as Lydia, just mentioned in Acts chapter 16. And we might more accurately say then that the church is a household of households. And that lays hold of the biblical notion Well, I trust something of that is clear to you. In other words, what we have in the family is a microcosm of what we see in the church. It's just a a small picture of what we see in a larger context in the church. There is a head of the house in the church, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, not the elders and not anybody else. Jesus Christ is the head of His church. Jesus Christ has a bride. And His bride is a body that is made up of different parts that all have different functions. The elders are to teach the Word of God. They are to enforce the Word of God. They are to lovingly set forth the word of the head to those single, hoping to be married, married with children, without children. It covers the entire gamut. And all of the parts are gifted by the Holy Spirit for the building up, the edification of the body. If the Lord has added you here, it is because we need you, and you need us. And together, He sanctifies us by the power of His Spirit. In light of that, then, let's consider some of the reasons why the family needs the church. We've looked at the definition of the church and the importance of it. And we've seen the same as far as the family. We've defined it and we have considered its importance Now, let's bring the two of them together. The family needs the church. What I mean by that is that every household needs to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ in a local gathering of believers, organized in harmony with the infallible Word of God. Number one, the family needs the church because the family needs redemption. When Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, he plunged all mankind into the dark night of sin and depravity. Because of this, all his descendants, all mankind are born with deceitful, wicked hearts. All are under God's just condemnation and in desperate need of salvation. Luke describes God's great work of saving 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost this way. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, this description speaks of salvation in terms of its relationship to the body of Christ. It didn't just say 3,000 people were saved. Now, it's true. I'm not denying that. But unto what were they saved? The Scripture says they were added to the church. This means that those who were brought into saving union with Christ are added to His body, which is manifested by fellowship with and participation in a local church. The family needs the church because the redemption of any sinner results in his being added to the body of Christ. And God's great salvation includes the sanctifying influence found only in the church. Now, let me clarify that one statement. I don't mean that you can't be sanctified in any way other than your participation in the local church. But what I am saying is that to neglect the church is to neglect the primary means by which you are made like the head of the church. Secondly, the family needs the church because the family needs worship. The family needs worship. We should come before the presence of God, to worship and adore Him. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God is to be fervently fervently worshipped and adored by His people. brother, a little-known fact is that addiction. Lying at the heart of all addictions. The simple issue of idolatry. We look for something to give us joy. We look for something to give us meaning. We look for something to take away the pain of living. Outside of the living God. We're made for something... Eternal. And therefore, there is that thing in us that constantly wants more. And when we substitute something created in that place, we become addicted to those things. Why does the alcoholic take another drink? When he knows! But he knows it's killing him! Why does he do it? But he may not be purposefully meaning to hurt everyone around him. It may not be what he's thinking. We can't always go into the head of people, so I don't want to think for everyone. But I can tell you that part of what's driving him is he wants the way he feels when he has it. Same for drug taking. Same for addictions to pornography. Same for the pursuit of fornication, perversions, we like the way it feels. We like the way it makes me feel. Life's hard. Life's miserable. My dad treated me wrong. My mother treated me wrong. I was an orphan. I was this. I was that. I I had. I fell in with the, the bad people. You can say all those things, but at, at your very core, down at the central nerve of what you are, there is a desire for something to satisfy you all the time. Something that can satisfy you forever. And brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that should be central to your heart. See, you can can intake too much food. You can't intake too much Christ. You can drink too much. You can smoke too much. You can take any good thing and do too much of it. You cannot worship too much. You cannot love Christ too much. You can pour everything out on Him that you want. I love you. I need you. I want you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I praise you. I thank you. I adore you. You can't do too much. You can wear yourself out in the praise and the worship of the Almighty Christ. You can. And it's all right. Jesus Christ won't say, no, can't have any more. No, no, Mm-mm-mm, that's enough. That's enough. Every created thing has to have a termination. It stops. The high goes away. The feeling goes away. The food goes away. passes out like the Lord Jesus Christ. But not Christ. We can drink of His Spirit all we want. We can read in His Word all we want. And we won't hurt our soul. We won't damage ourselves as such. See, the family needs worship. If you are not satisfied, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is not central to everything about your life, then I can tell you that you ultimately find your joy, your happiness in events or people. And those always fail. I preached something about that somewhat fervently last week. And then found myself the very next day broken down in Franklin, Tennessee. Now, if my getting to my proposed destination was the centrality and focal point of my, of my happiness for Monday, i be shot at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But if my focal point is the Lord Jesus Christ in all of life, I can rejoice in anything that He brings. The family needs the church because the family needs to worship. It needs to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just come and sleepily kind of, you know, endure a few hymns and then even, oh, even worse, have to endure a long-winded preacher. But if you come to worship the living God and to offer up all praise and thanksgiving, and to come to listen, to stand before His text and be searched by His Spirit. You can rejoice. You can have all that you want. I mean, can you really picture the Lord Jesus going, "Uh uh-oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're going past twelve. Stop! I don't want any more worship past twelve. Go home and eat. No, if God's people are being filled with His Spirit and they're hearing His Word and they want Him, they're feeding already. God has entrusted no other institution with what He has in the church. The blessed fellowship of the church, in that blessed fellowship, our hearts are knit together in hearing God's voice In his word, not audible voices, but in his word, in the blessings of baptism. How many of you that were here for the baptisms that we had last year? How many of you rejoiced in that? I mean, Did not that wed your heart to those who were immersed and came back up professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in the newness of life? Did that not fill your heart with joy? Didn't it? There's another one following Christ. Praise the Lord, my brother, my sister. The Lord's Supper. Holy Communion. What a blessing it is for me to look out and see all of you as we take the bread and the fruit of the vine and to see us walking together, loving together. The Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we there at that table? Because we love Him that loved us. That's what brings God's people together. You don't get that any other place. God gave it to the church. Well, I don't need those people. Then you're probably not converted. What did he say? You're probably not converted. How can you make a preposterous statement like that? Because the Spirit of God animates the hearts of God's children to love Christ and His children. And if you can do without God's children, you are likely doing without Christ. God has entrusted no other institution with baptism in the Lord's Supper. When families join with other families in the holy praise and joyful worship of Almighty God, God's Spirit brings a unity that can be found in no other way. I heard one of the children walking through here this morning Humming one of the hymns that we sing here regularly. That's what they ought to be humming. Not the man centered filth that pours out of the radios and off of the television and, and fills the CDs and the MP3 players of the world. But oh, what a joy it, that fills the heart when you hear just a little one humming, singing the hymns of Zion. Your children need to worship. They don't need country stars, rock stars, football players. They need Christ. Who can deny the unspeakable joy of a father or a mother hearing a son or a daughter? Calling in faith upon Christ, what else could what else could move your heart than to see your children calling upon the Lord? Those of us who know the pain of seeing children that do not have to sit in a holy envy. Watching those who have professed a faith in the Lord Jesus and the joy that it brings parents. Not just being religious, but walking with Christ. Who can deny the joy of a parent listening to their sons or their daughters lifting up their voices in the songs of Zion instead of out at, at the rock concert with their, their Zippos going or their cigarette lighters. See, if you don't know anything about that, something's wrong. Now, i if you don't have children, I'm not talking to you. But you see, the family needs worship. Father needs to worship. Mother needs to worship. Our children need to see us worship. Not just come in a building, do our you know, punch our religious time clock, and then go out and blow out everything that we've heard about what we do the rest of the day. I'm talking about walking with the living Christ. Do you know anything about that? Do your children know anything about that? The family needs the church. Because it needs to worship. What child can look back upon their godly parents' fervent prayers, burning tears, and godly example without praising and thanking God? Read John Payton's biography and hear how he lifts his voice in the praise of God for his godly Father. family needs the church because the family needs discipline. Now, in our politically correct day, this is a severe taboo. Who would dare lay his hand upon a child? Who would take a rod and bring it down with force upon the backside of a little child? A monster a pervert, a sadist, someone who wants to promote violence in our culture, I will tell you that the answer is a godly parent who loves the soul of his child. Because that emulates our Father in heaven. We should come before the presence of God to worship and adore Him. But there can be no godly family without godly rule. And Jesus Christ, the head of the church, in love disciplines His children. He says it to the church in Laodicea, whom I love, I chasten. Any believe that? Our culture doesn't. But God's children do. Godly rule includes discipline. In its root sense, discipline simply means to instruct, to educate. It means correction or chastisement intended to correct crimes or errors. Hezekiah Harvey defined discipline as all those processes by which a church, as entrusted with the care of souls, educates its members for heaven. Such as their public and private instruction in the gospel, the maintenance of social meetings for their edification and comfort, and in general, the cultivation of a spirit adapted to awaken and cherish the Christian life. But discipline in a narrower sense denotes the action of the church whether as individuals or as a body, in reference to offenses committed against the laws of Christ. In other words, the head of the church instructs us as a loving father from the pulpit, from His Word. And in the the, the joint congregational meetings that we have where the, the gifts that the Spirit gives us begin to rub like a holy friction, Wearing down our corners, which are many. Knocking off the stuff that doesn't look like the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all weak. We're all feeble. We're all uh, very uh, limited vessels of dust. But it is within the context of the church that we grow and its discipline. Knowing, knowing that there are consequences for our rebellions against our loving head. Families need this gracious and God-ordained instruction, correction, and whenever necessary, chastisement. I've had the unpleasant business of having to head the discipline of a man found in adultery. Brother, you want to go through some heavy times. You go through genuine discipline in, in the church, a biblical discipline. There are very unbiblical ways that some people attempt these things, but when you biblically do them, you get down to the nub of what it means to be alive. And it's difficult, and it's a challenge. But as hard as that was to do, we saw a sinner reclaimed and reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I love, I chasten. And if the church won't do it, very often the head will do it without their instrumentality. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 to a church that was out of order, you're coming to the table unworthily. And that's why some of you are sick. And that's why some of you are dead. Or some of you have passed away. That's sober, is it not? It's very sobering. Will we like a place that actually believes something like that? If the Spirit of God dwells within you and you're walking according to the Word of God, you'll love a place like that. You'll thank God every day that He's put you in a place like that. If the church does not discipline, very often families will not learn to. Every father here knows that it is a great difficulty to discipline a child with corporal punishment. But what drives you? The love for that child. Well, let's press on. The family needs the church because the family needs definition. The family needs the church because the family needs definition. Manhood destroyed as it always is by fornication, adultery, pornography, and perversion, has shriveled to a cowardly and effeminate parody of itself, brethren. It's hard to find men on the landscape in our day. Godly men. We can find loads of males. They're everywhere. Can't walk out anywhere without stepping one, stepping on one. There, there. We can find males. We can find people that can spawn children. But to find a godly man. Brethren, that's difficult. Ours has become a Corinthian culture complete with a full-blown, relentless, and withering attack upon the family, and especially upon manhood. Our media, our government schools, our judicial systems, and unwittingly, many of our churches have joined together in a full-scale assault on biblical manhood. The men of our culture have been analyzed, easternized, ecologized, eroticized, feminized, globalized, politicized, psychoanalyzed, secularized, sodomized, and socialized to the point that true manhood has all but reached its demise. In the eyes of many, being a man is about the most contemptible and despicable thing on the planet. And there are people doing everything they can to look into scientific ways of doing without men. Now, I hope that's not surprising to you. Is that shocking to anybody here? Is anybody unaware of the fact that they're doing everything they can to remove men basically out of even the reproductive act? If you've got any questions about that, I can point you to... Well, just go on the Internet. You can just go out and do a couple of searches and you can find that they're doing research on all these kinds of things. But you don't need, need men and women coming together in, in what is clearly set out in the Scriptures. You don't need all that. All you need is a couple of cells and then you go and live the life you want. If you want some children, you can find a place to go and, and farm them. Buy them out. Oh, I, I think I want a cute little redhead, yes. You know, if, if that's what the DNA pool is like, give me one of those. They don't need men, except for a few minutes. Need a few cells, but they're working. I've read articles. They're doing everything they can to not even need male cells. You think that's crazy? You're not awake in your world if you think that's crazy. Or perhaps I should say, if you're unaware of it, you need to wake up. It is crazy but it's the world that we're thinking about. It's the world that we're living in. The feminists are right about one thing. I always tremble when I say that, knowing there's a video camera going. The feminists are right about one thing. Men are the problem. Those of you that have been here for any amount of time know that I say that fairly regularly. They're right. Men are the problem. The problem is the feminists are wrong as to why men are the problem. The problem lies in the loss of biblical definition. And the church needs, the the family needs the church because within the context of the Word of God, we find not only what real manhood is, but we should see and we do see it modeled. That's the Titus chapter 2 notion. The family needs the church because only faithful biblical preaching and the fellowship of like-minded saints creates the context in which biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, and biblical families can be defined, developed, and modeled before our very eyes. Well, let me press on. The family needs the church because the family needs protection. Our confession also states that we believe that the family is the focus of a fierce and unrelenting attack by the world and the devil. Satan's attack upon the family is clearly revealed and chronicled in God's infallible word. Moreover, in our day, the battle has escalated to the point that Christians must rise up in defense of the family in uncompromising biblical warfare. Now, how do we carry out that warfare? Well, it's not with guns and bombs. If you're afraid that you've stumbled into a, a militia here, you, you haven't. But a spiritual militia, yes. And what I mean by that is those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the army and understand and wield His Word as the sword of the Spirit. God has given His Word to the church, the holy inspired... The Holy Spirit inspired 66 books which are profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness has been given to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave those books so that the man of God may be perfectly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And this means that the Bible is God's all-sufficient source book and guide for ordering our families, for teaching husbands how to love their wives, as Christ loves the church, and how wives submit to their own husbands, how fathers are to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and how children are to honor and obey their parents in the Lord, among numerous other vital matters. God has given His elders to the church to bring the Word and to help enforce the Word of God for the sake of God's people That God has ordained churches to be holy communities in which families and individuals are nurtured, encouraged, and equipped to walk with God by the faithful preaching and the faithful modeling of the word in the life of its elders as it trickles down into its men and its men down into its families. Why did Paul say to Timothy, "Preach the word. Be instant in in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine." That sounds kind of hard, doesn't it? Now today, you know, we all want to be mollycoddle. That's the word my mother used to use. We just want a little pat on the head. It's okay. You just keep on going. Do do your little thing in the Lord. You don't have you don't have Paul saying that. It's true. Now that there were times when he was as gentle as a nurse. Brethren, the picture more often is war. The picture more the picture more often is agricultural scenes where you get out and you work hard. And you know, and break your back with all of the labors that you're doing. The words of God are powerful. The images are strong. Paul talks about being a runner, running as if he's the only one that's going to win. He doesn't say, "Oh well, let's just all get in the race and we'll all just plod along and." However you get there, it's fine. It doesn't really matter. He says, run the race! Run the race! Run like you're going to win! Don't come to the Bible just to get a pat on the head. Come to find out what life is about. And then live it. The power of the Holy Ghost. Run! War! Work! You find the glory of Christ and the joy of living. He says, "Reprove, rebuke, exhort." Now, why does he say stuff like that? Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he say, "Now, whatever you do, Timothy, make sure that you always speak to them in the voice that evokes a seventy-five dollar an hour psychoanalyst?" Because we're in a battle. And he says, you reprove and you rebuke them because the hour is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine. And when the doctrine goes, the living goes. And the order goes. It's all gone. And the honor to Christ goes. Because we honor Him by coming and doing what He says. Well, we need to stop I'll simply run over this last thought. The family needs the church because it needs fellowship. Within the context of the church, families and individuals serve Christ side by side and they mutually benefit from the gifts each has received from the Holy Spirit. In the truest sense, brethren, I need you. All you need is Christ. Well, that's true. In, in, In the fundamental sense, that's true. All I need is the Lord Jesus. But there's something under that. Christ dwells in all of His people. And He dwells within this body of believers. And in that sense, I know that He's going to, by the power of His Spirit, give you something that I need. He doesn't give it all to one guy. And you need me. That may be a scary thought some days, but you do. You need Brother Stephen. You need Brother Andrew. You need the the Adkins family. You need them. You need to know Brother Rob. You need to fellowship with him. We need fellowship. We need to strive together as we wrestle through the things that we find in life. We can't one another, as Brother Stephen wonderfully taught here several months ago. We cannot one another when we're not in fellowship with one another. So then, let us think of the church as that visible entity that exists and functions in accord with the institution of Christ as its head, the church that is the Bride of Christ, the body of Christ, indwelt and directed by the Holy Spirit, consisting of those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints, manifested in the congregations of the faithful, and which will one day be the holy, spotless, and without blemish, Bride of Christ, joined to her Bridegroom, Jesus Christ, throughout all Eternity, we believe that the family, biblically structured, is crucial and an important point in reforming the church today. Now, let us ask ourselves the question, if we want the structure, if we want that biblical family structure, whatever the cost, How much more does God want the proper structure for His family, the church? How much more does the Father value His family for which He spilled the blood of His only begotten Son? Brethren, my prayer is that as we hear this message, we will, by God's grace, realize the need of the church, the importance of the church, the necessity of the church, And may the things that we've thought about this morning be used of Almighty God to sharpen and to define the gatherings of the saints who understand this. And to enlighten those who do not and provoke them to reformation. And for those who will not, may the Sovereign Lord of heaven and earth raise up innumerable churches among those who see and understand this and long to make it the reality of their lives unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without
1: end amen this Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's revival books SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available free and for sale in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com.